Hello and welcome to the Home Assistant Podcast. My name's Phil. Joining me as usual, I've got my partner in crime, Mr. Rohan Karamandi. Hello. Hey. And today we are joined by Jean. Ah, thanks for having me on. This episode is sponsored by Home Assistant Cloud by Nabucasa. Easily access your local Home Assistant instance remotely for a small monthly fee that supports the Home Assistant and ESP home projects. Configuration is done by the user interface, so there's no fiddling with router settings, SSL certs, or any other YAML. Whereabouts in the world are you coming from, Gene? I am in Georgia, about an hour west of Atlanta in the United States. Nice. Yeah, I guess, so you reached out to us, wow, almost like a year ago, trying to <laughs> come on as a, a guest. You were talking about, uh, I think, TP-Link at the time. So mm-hmm. yeah, so tell us a bit about yourself and your, your home automation journey and how you've got here today. I am a, well, my title at work is an SRE, but I do pretty much all things infrastructure and supporting our software development team at the company I work for, working with everything from physical hardware to, you know, all the nice fun virtualization and all. But on the home automation side, I'm heavily ingrained in using Home Assistant now, but started off using just some basic uh, Amazon stuff, thanks to a gift from a family member. Nice. That's pretty cool. So, so is it, was that your first kind of entry into home automation or? It was, I had, well, the very first entry I had was a little RF controlled set of, I I guess they're technically called smart plugs, but they're RF Mm -hmm. controlled outlets that was controlling a lamp and then got a smart speaker as a gift. And I hadn't been willing to buy one up until that point because of the privacy aspects and a few other things and just really sure. didn't see the need for it. Yeah, totally. But then I became addicted to it pretty fast. Yeah, it ruins your life. <laughs> <laughs> In some aspects, but it has actually made some things really nice and really simplified some, some daily routines and just taken a lot of effort out of things. Yeah. How many smart speakers do you have now? Um, there's one in every room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the, the sign of an addiction, right? Like, yeah, it's, off one and... I quite literally do not have a room in the house other than closets that doesn't have one in it now, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, and that actually includes my garage. Okay, cool. Uh, and have you got the garage automated uh, that you could? Because uh, a lot of people, you know, when they see our smart speakers, you know, oh, that's dumb. I could just say, hey, Google, you know, open the garage door, right? Like, have you got it to no, that I actually, I have. I actually don't have anything automated in the garage yet. Um, I do have all the stuff to add some smarts into my garage doors, but I haven't actually assembled it yet. Um, but I actually, one of the guests that was on this show quite some time ago uh, brought up a really good point about not wanting somebody to be able to stand outside and yell, yell hey, Amazon woman open the garage <laughs> and just be able to walk in. Yeah. Um, and so I'll, when I yeah. do get that one set up, I will not have it. It will not be one that home assistant exports into the system. I'm actually got, my hope is that I'm going to be able to take one of the little Zigbee buttons from Aquara that I use all over the place. Yeah. And I'm going to use, have one of those that I keep in my car mm-hmm. and yeah. hopefully it will work. Cause I've got a Zigbee plug down in the garage too. And those little buttons and other battery powered things, they don't keep a persistent connection anyway. So my hope is that, you know, leaving the house and coming back, when I go to push the button, it'll just reach out to the same router it was using before and will yeah. just work. But I haven't mm-hmm. tested that theory yet. That's interesting. Yeah. Cause like I was just about to ask, you know, like, I wonder how that would work in terms of, you know, a device going away for eight hours while you're at work, right? Like, 
and then the ZigBee network decides to reroute all its nodes and, and find the best connection, are you then driving your car in and it doesn't know how to connect back to the with the battery powered ones, you know, they're they're not routers, they're just I think the technical term is end devices. Yeah. yeah. But, right. So since it doesn't do any of the routing, it just has to know how to get to something. Mm. I'm, I'm hoping it'll work. I'm going to test the theory, but that's really just a backup because I've got, you know, traditional garage door openers hanging on the visor yeah, of right. my car. Yeah. Um, but one of our two garage door openers, um, it's finicky. It's yeah. like you've got to cross your eyes just right to make the remote work for it. <laughs> of course, of um, course. Yeah. And so this is kind of a backup for that, but it's mainly the main hope that I have with this is when you either when the remote's not working, you know, worst case, I pull out my phone and I can open it instead of having to do what I do now, which is open the other garage door, go inside, yeah. hit the button, come back out and then pull the car into the side that it belongs on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean the 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 one thing I would be concerned about when doing that is just a battery life, right? Because when uh, if if I, I forget how Zigbee acts, but if I remember correctly, if it's disconnected and still powered on, it's kind of like, "Hey, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Where are you?" Right? And which basically yeah. just destroys the battery life. Because I know every time, like if if I do something and blow up my Zigbee network, what happens is. Uh, Chances are there's a good chance I have to re have to change a couple of batteries in there yeah. if, if I if one of the devices just decides it's not connecting That's or whatever. I yeah, so about that. T- test that out. I'm, maybe it's just a me problem, but uh, <laughs> I I don't know, right? Yeah, I have a I have a feeling you're right. And that's why that's like, you know, the the fallback nice idea. Just you know, in an ideal world I would and I don't think I actually have the skills to do this, but in the ideal world I would disassemble one of these little Aquara buttons and mm-hmm. take the innards of it and stick it inside of a traditional garage door opener housing so that it would still, you know, nice and small, but clip on my visor and just use one of these instead of a traditional garage door opener. Yeah. But yeah. I've also got a, I'd actually forgotten, but I also bought the parts to put a little keypad outside that like you see with a lot of garage door opener systems. Um, but with it controlled with a little ESP device mm-hmm. and you know, basically make my own little smart keypad that would integrate with Home Assistant instead of integrating with you know the manufacturer of my garage door openers. Yeah. So yeah, the idea yeah. being you could, you know, press a one, two, three, four star and then the garage door would open and close for you. Yeah. Yeah. But instead of it being like one, two, three, four star and then a signal goes from that to, you know, the store bought garage door system mm-hmm. that it would, you know, Pass the little test on the ESP, and the ESP would trigger a you know a switch flip or whatever it is in Home Assistant to toggle the garage door. And then I guess if you could pass all the like code entries straight to Home Assistant, then you could do some advanced things, right? Like only let this code work between you know nine AM and five PM Monday to Friday. Um, or home. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. 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 Or or allowed because the other thing that would give is like guest access kind of yeah. things when we're out of town and somebody comes over to take care of our animals or something yep absolutely that's yeah. the ideal use case for it right yeah that's cool so i guess so you you, you were gifted your little amazon speaker i'm guessing and uh that sort of ignited that what was your journey like into home assistant did you start off with home assistant or did you did you find a need for home assistant or a little bit um I used the Amazon devices for quite some time just by them, you know, as as the hub, so to speak. Right. And I went from just having them and, like I think a lot of people do, a 
spark plug that actually integrated with the Amazon system. It's a TP-Link plug. And I like the TP-Link stuff, and that kind of expanded. And then at the time, I was living um, in Portland, Oregon uh, for, for work, and had, we had decided to move back home to Georgia. And after we got back home, I got into doing smart light switches um, and doing the TP-Link switches also. And been really happy with those. But at some point, I wanted more than what the Amazon ecosystem was giving. I don't remember exactly what the motivator was, but there was something that I was wanting to do. And it was either I wanted to do something with another brand of something or I wanted a. I think I wanted some kind of automation that I just couldn't do in the Amazon ecosystem. Right. I found Homebridge at that point. And Homebridge was nice. Um, it you know, gave me a little bit of the ability to tie it into the Apple ecosystem, which then meant it was easy to do automations and stuff for my phone, but it still was kind of lacking. And I had a few other issues with it. I don't remember the exact details, but there was something that made me not overly thrilled with it or something that was just lacking. And sure. at some point during debugging that, I stumbled across Home Assistant. And that was probably a year and a half or so ago. Nice. And a little over a year ago, I went from poking at Home Assistant, because I started out with it on a Raspberry Pi 3 and an SD card, which, as I'm sure you can imagine, didn't work so well. Yeah. Um, and then, so I, after doing a little more research, found that it should work a lot better on a Pi 4, but it really needed to not be on an SD card. Yeah. And did the research and figured out how to have a... Home Assistant set up where the Raspberry Pi was running the Home Assistant OS and was booted from an external drive. I've got a USB 3 enclosure for a NVMe drive, and yeah. that's what it's been running off of for a little over a year now. I kind of count that time that was a little more than a year ago as being kind of like when I went from beta to production with Home Assistant, because that's when things kind of mm -hmm. got serious and I... I'm still running that same installation now. And I started with yeah. the 64-bit Home Assistant even before it was kind of the norm for the recommendations just because I've been running 64-bit Linux operating systems for what felt like eons at that point. I, I know how much faster this is going to run. I'm not doing the 32-bit version. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's and, and, and you know, you've had no other issues, no nothing like that since you flipped to the uh, NVMe drive, you said, right? And like... It's now, the NVMe drive's been super stable. I did the, the Raspberry Pi ecosystem has made this way easier since I did it about a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. But the, at the time, I had to install Raspbian, do some pre-release, not quite officially. We pushed out yeah. firmware to support booting directly from USB instead of it having yep. like this long wait time uh, while it timed out on looking for an SD card and some other stuff. But in the end, it wasn't that bad of a process. I actually think it might have been. It was somewhere on the Home Assistant community forums. Somebody had written up a guide for exactly how to do it and all the, you know, all mm -hmm. the voodoo to actually make it work. But it ended up working, and um, I've just been running with it ever since. I boot directly off the NVMe, no SD card anywhere near my Home Assistant. Yeah, because if I remember correctly, that only came out like, I don't want to say like two years ago or something like that, where you could boot yeah. off of USB. Like, until then, it was, you put your, 
Yeah, it's it's really new. Yeah, yeah, because before that, you'd put your recorder data on the USB, and then everything else, like your boot drive, would still be uh, an SD card, so you'd need both. Yeah. So. Yeah, that was the, it was really, really new still. It was, people were actually using it by the time I started doing it, but mm-hmm. it wasn't like, it certainly wasn't what I would call mainstream, and it was not user-friendly to get to that point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but the nice thing though is once once you get there, it's and it's it's hard I mean, to do, but once you're there, then it's a lot easier, right? Well, and I haven't touched it since either. And yeah, I've yeah. watched the like the change logs and stuff for the Home Assistant OS and or Hasso, whatever yeah. you call it, the operating system yeah. put out by Home Assistant, and you know it's you see that it's pushing out the lower level firmwares and stuff that I would have gotten through Raspbian, so I don't feel like um leaving myself vulnerable or missing things mm-hmm. because of that um i haven't like dug in in depth to see if there's anything i would you know should be doing or could be doing differently but it looks like they're pushing out all the low level stuff for the pi itself through there to do the like firmware updates and stuff like that so it's like i don't see any reason to do anything besides this this is just easy it just works and mm-hmm. you know when you're talking about something that runs your home just works is really friggin' important. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally, right? Like, you can't have... Uh, you don't want to be spending too much time maintaining that thing, especially like any downtime, right? Like, it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and once it becomes integrated into your life, that's just kind of key is, mm-hmm. you know, if it doesn't work, it's not just you, the geek, who notices it. It's the entire family or anybody who's, you know, interacting with your house. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. So you started off. So you, you've obviously got music. You had your Amazon Echo. Now you've got some Zigbee stuff. What else are you running around your house? So I've got Echoes everywhere. I've got almost all my light switches are the TP Link switches. Um, before I got heavy into, I actually skipped a step. Before I got heavy into the TP Link switches, um, I got some Philips Hue. Mm-hmm. That's what drove me to Home Assistant. It was trying to make my TP-Link and my Hue stuff be able to be done in the same automation. Mm, nice. So yep. I had just a just a few Hue things, and at the time was using a Hue bridge. Um, and then I've got since then I've moved away from the Hue bridge, but I've got a bunch of sensors like uh, door sensors and window sensors and buttons from Aquara, and those have worked beautifully and let's see what else have i got several things running either esp home or tasmoda um that are built the esp home stuff is stuff i've built myself except for one device and the tasmoda stuff is kind of store-bought things that there was a tasmoda firmware for and you know those are flash yeah and it's just you know again they just work so there's like no need to go building my own esp home firmware for it when i can you know let somebody else do all the hard work of that and the part that's important to me is that it plays nice with home assistant and that it's reliable mm-hmm. so what are some of the esp home stuff you had to make like fun stuff or just tedious stuff uh fun stuff um the the very first thing that i built with an esp was built actually before I had any of the home automation things. I've got a uh, ESP8266 that runs a couple of grow light strips that are in my kitchen window. So our kitchen window is over our sink. Like, at least in the U.S., right. it's a pretty common setup. You've got a 
a normal full-size window right above your sink. And there's decent light in that window. And we wanted to be able to have plants in that window. And we've always had a couple, but there was never quite enough room. And so I built a shelf that's, I don't know, like 16 inches deep um, and put it about halfway up the window. And then I put some grow light strips, one up at the top. So the ca- we have cabinets on either side of the window, yeah. and there's a little valence that kind of makes it look pretty in between the two cabinets. Yep. Um, but because of that, I could hide a little stick-on grow light strip up there in the top, and that provides some nice light for the shelf. And then I have another strip of the same lights on the underside of the shelf, nice. providing some extra light for the windowsill, so that yep. it's not, to kind of make up for where it's shadowed and stuff like that. And then I've got both of those. Those were um, 12 volt or it's either 5 or 12 volt, but something DC. I've got that ESP hooked up to a two relay and each of those are on a relay. Unfortunately, those lights came with the kind of standard DC barrel connector. Mm -hmm. And so from the relay, I got some pigtails that already had the barrel connectors and was able to go from the relay on the Send Power 2 side. And just plug that into the original cords for the light strips. And then for the power input on the AC power input from the kind of wall bricks, I was able to take and plug the original wall plug still into the wall and send them as the input power into the high power side of the relay. And then I switched the relays on and off with the ESP device. And it's got a schedule built into it to turn on at like 7.30 in the morning and turn off at or turn on at eight in the morning and off at eight at night or something like that. Something similar right. to where the the hours of the sun are. And I used to have to get in before home assistant, I would have to get in there, you know, twice a year, every time daylight savings time kicked in and fix the time <laughs> on it. But I had a little web interface on it so I could see if it was working and make sure that it yeah. was, you know, toggling like it should. Um, so I built that. And then the, Next thing that I built that was tried building my own like temperature and humidity sensors to put around the house. Mm-hmm. And I have a couple of them and they work, but I can't make a pretty one. My skills are not high enough <laughs> that I can make something compact enough to also look nice. And that's when sure. I decided that I was going to go with the Zigbee temperature and humidity sensors because yeah, the acquired ones small. are really nice. Yeah, they're small, yeah. they're yeah. pretty. Um, I've actually got those hung on the wall with command strips instead of that mm-hmm. incredibly strong adhesive they come with because they put adhesive on those things like you're never going to need to take them down, yeah, um, which no. makes no sense because the adhesive is on the housing, not on the battery cover. And so to change the battery, you have to literally rip paint off the wall if you use the adhesive that comes with it. Uh, but yeah, uh, yeah. So, but back on the ESP side of things, the thing that I'm actually most proud of that I've done with an ESP is for my dryer. Um, so we wanted some laundry notifications, and because our dry, our washer and dryer down in our garage, we live in a split level house, and so it's a little bit below the main living area and right. sits underneath. Uh, our bedroom and you know there's the normal buzzers on the washer and dryer but we couldn't hear them because they're in the garage yeah and so you know it wasn't wasn't uncommon that we would forget that laundry was going and you know it'd be you know six 12 hours the next day before we remember oh yeah yeah there was something in the washer and then your clothes are all musty and 
Mm-hmm. Gross. Well, yeah. and if it's during the summer, you know, during the winter, there's a little more grace time. But during the summer, yeah. when the garage gets nice and warm, you leave wet yeah. stuff in the washer uh, for a day. And you're, I mean, our garage surprisingly doesn't get super hot, but, you know, 80 degrees Fahrenheit sure. and a day of wet stuff in a confined environment is going to stink. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So for the dryer, it's. 220 volts like most things are in the u.s or i I think it's 220 but it's the big plug it's not a standard 110 wall outlet and so i couldn't do like power monitoring or something or like a normal smart plug so i had to think about how i could determine when it was done and from when i first started playing with arduino stuff i had some extra dallas one wire temperature sensors I forget it's a DT something or another, but it's a really DT, common sensor. Yeah. Um, but they came with like a six foot cord and a waterproof housing. Um, so they were on that kind of like a long pigtail. Yeah. And so I took one of those when we actually swapped out our washer and dryer recently. And I put it in the dryer vent hose from the dryer side so that the sensor is pointed down the tube and so like when Mm. the air is coming out of the dryer it's going along the pigtail and not like blowing up against it so it shouldn't be catching any lint or anything like that because you know don't want to cause a fire hazard in my dryer Um, but the idea was is that you know there's a lot of heat that goes down that tube and when the dryer's done there's not going to be so much heat and so i tried to try that theory out that i could detect when the dryer was actually drying based off the temperature in that tube and the temperature changes and it worked out um the temperature in that tube will in an incredibly short amount of time spike from whatever the normal temperature is in the garage whether it's you know 50 something in the garage which is where it stays kind of in the winter because of the heat just coming from other parts of the house or you know as high as the upper 70s or Something in the summer where it's gotten really warm, but you know some of the coolness from the rest of the house is keeping it from getting hotter. That dryer hose will spike to well over a hundred degrees, and it'll do it in a very short amount of time. And then when the dryer goes off, the temperature when it gets in that like final cool down cycle of the dryer, the temperature drops almost as fast. It's incredible how fast in that tube the temperature drops. That's what and I was so going to ask. Yeah, that's interesting. So I looked for a big change in temperature over like the last couple of readings. Because I think the sensor is set to, the ESP device is set to read every 30 seconds, I think it is. Right. Um, I've never actually wrapped my head around all the deep sleep stuff. So all of my ESP devices are, you know, always active, always pulling power, always doing stuff. Yeah. Uh, But anyway, yeah, I checked it over like three or four readings. And if the temperature change is... From the lowest reading to the highest reading is greater than like, I don't know, 40 or 50 degrees. And it's above a certain temperature. I forget what it was. I think above 100 degrees. Then I could tell that the dryer has come on. And then conversely, if it drops um, more than like 20 degrees within a minute or two minutes, like nothing that nature would do. <laughs> you know, if it drops right. that fast, then that means the dryer has gone from running to off. And that has actually worked really well. It, um, the way our dryer works, when that temperature drop happens, there's about three minutes left on the dryer. And so I actually have it send me notifications saying that the dryer is cooling down and be finished in about three minutes. 
And within about 30 seconds, it's been spot on accurate on that. And for the washer, it's a lot simpler. I got a um, Sonoff smart plug, just the traditional, I was a S31 smart plug, I think it is. Yep. Um, yeah. the, the nice Wi-Fi based one that you can put Tasmoda on, um, flashed it with Tasmoda and plugged the washer into it. And because it's got the power monitoring built into it, um, I can look for the power draw to tell if the washer is on or not. Now, so I, for the those, dryer, mm-hmm. did you, do you have to do any like uh, calculations if it is winter or summer, like from that base level? Or is it if it goes over 100 degrees, then I know uh, the dryer's on no matter what the season is? Yeah, I have um, one of the temperature sensors that I made myself uh, is actually in my garage. And that's because my, my wife's exercise bike is down in the garage. And I put that temperature sensor down there so that she could easily look to see if, basically to see how many, how much clothing she wanted to have owned to go to the exercise bike. Like if it's 50 degrees versus 75 degrees down there, you know, you might want to, you're going to still wear exercise clothing, but you might want to wear a little bit more when it's 50 degrees than when it's 70 something. But because of that, I was been able to observe before I did this, that our garage never got above like the upper 70s, maybe low 80s. And so I was able to say that, put, I think the constraint I put on my automation was that it had to have passed 100 degrees. Yeah. Because yep. that never happens in my garage. Yeah. And so that was kind of like, between that and the rate of change, because it really, when I actually got to thinking about it, it really doesn't matter what the temperature is. It's that rate of change, increase or decrease that's never going to happen in the natural world. Like the only way mother nature would cause that kind of temperature change is if my house was struck by lightning and caught on fire. And right. at that point, I don't give a shit if my automations aren't working <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I've got bigger problems. <laughs> um, but uh, so that since something like natural disaster is the only thing that's going to cause the logic sure. for the rate of change to not be accurate, then that was good enough. Yeah, absolutely. I hooked that up. That actually forced me to do another automation that I had been meaning to check out. And I hooked it up with Twilio uh, for the laundry notifications because you know, I'm sure y'all have both experienced this. You have stuff in the dryer that if it sits, it's going to get super duper wrinkly and you're going to basically end up needing to throw it in for another rinse cycle so that yep, you yep. can dry it again because it's either that or you literally have to iron everything that was in there. And I don't yeah. know about y'all, but I'd rather throw it through a rinse and spin in the washer and redry it than iron everything that's in the load. Avoid life getting that ironing board out at all costs. L- life hack. When that happens, I just don't re-iron it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, mean, I, I throw it back in the washer and just yeah, rerun yeah. it through. I actually don't own, after because of a couple of moves, I don't even own an ironing board anymore. <laughs> uh, we still have an iron, and like if push comes to shove, we can iron something, but... Yeah, I think we have one of the small boards tucked away somewhere. One of those ones that's like two feet long and just folds up yeah. to nothing. Um, but I have a, I had the automation for that send us a text message whenever it's finished. And then I've also got, that was goes to, I had a little smarts around that using the presence detection. And it only sends us those texts if we're home. Because if we're not home, we really don't care if the laundry's done. Because we're not going to do anything about it anyways. Um, but I also have it send a notification to me in Matrix so that it pops up on an app that's always running on my computer 
so that during the workday, I work from home. And so during the workday, if I've had some laundry running, I don't have to rely on seeing the text on my phone. I've got a notification that pops up on screen where I'm working and helps make it a little easier to not forget about things. Mm. Have you gone to the level where if you know you're home and you're on your computer, don't send the SMS because, you know, obviously using Twilio has a cost to it. Would um, you, do you have a level like where you could just, okay, no. I haven't. So when you sign up for Twilio, you have to put, you have to, you know, put a little bit of money on the, like right. preload a little bit of money. And I think I put $20 on there to start with. I don't think I've reloaded it, and I've been running this automation for, I honestly don't know how long it's been, but I feel like it's probably been somewhere between four and six months. I don't yeah. think I've burned through that $20 yet. I mean, it's less than one cent per text message. Um, I had My first experience with Twilio space. was with my church, and we were using it as part of a, a fancy work around other problems thing that I had built. And the normal bill that we got from Twilio there never passed. Like, there were months that Twilio would send me an email and tell us how much we had used, but they wouldn't actually cut a bill because it wasn't. They were, they're one of the few companies I've seen that's smart enough. They won't send you an actual invoice unless you've reached a certain amount because they understand that the fees and everything associated with paying that invoice will probably actually make them lose money. And yeah. so, like, we would go two and three months without having an invoice that we actually had to pay. Because the bill was so low, it would just build up for you know two or three months and then would eventually get to be enough. And I don't think I've actually gotten an invoice from Twilio yet. Or I may have just set it to auto-reload whenever it gets to there. But either way, it's it's like a non complete non-event cost-wise. Yeah, yeah. Cause I, and I'm just looking at the prices. It's like 0. 0.0075 cents uh, yeah. a message, right? So it's like, yeah. yeah. And I send a grand total of two text messages for each time the washer goes off and each time the dryer goes off. And, I mean, we've got a toddler, so we do a fair amount of laundry. But even with that, I mean, we're not talking about, you know, mass marketing. (laughs) And so it's not like I've got a whole bunch of other stuff. Hey, everyone. I just wanted to take a minute to talk about the Eufy Video Lock. It's a smart lock that's really easy to set up with just a Phillips screwdriver and no extra drilling. It's got a keyless entry, so you don't need to worry about fumbling with the keys when your hands are full. Also, you don't need to worry about handing out extra keys when you're in a pinch, your kids losing them, or people copying the key and passing it around to each other. Something else I like about the Eufy Video Lock is that it has a camera built in and it works as a doorbell as well. Personally, I think the Eufy Video Lock is great for apartments or cottages where you can't necessarily add extra holes for a video doorbell. My favorite part about it, though, is that there isn't a monthly fee and your recordings are locally stored, so you don't have to worry about someone else owning your doorbell data. You can find it on Amazon, or if you want to know more, search Eufy Video Lock, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Um, I did set up one other automation that's the kind of the world is ending kind of level of notifications. And that one will send us a text also. But, you know, in a normal day-to-day setup, there's just no need for it. I did actually have to set up on my dashboard in Home Assistant, though. I did have to add the toggles for the automation onto the Mm -hmm. same card. Because there has been once or twice that something in the logic has... I don't know if maybe the temperature pinballed just a little bit and caused the automation to trigger like three or four times in a row. 
And so I set it so that we could just toggle off the automation right there on the dashboard of Home Assistant um, in case the automation goes wonky. And that way it's not sending us text after text after text after text and driving us nuts. Yeah, interesting. I wonder what that would uh, that would do. It's but, one of those that's what, happened what so that? seldom that it hasn't been worth really digging into the edge case of the logic. Yeah, yeah. I don't blame you there. Um, I did finally, after forgetting to turn it back on for two or three days, um, mm-hmm. I set up another automation that in the overnight hours at like three or four in the morning, um, it will ensure that both of those automations for the laundry have been re-enabled. Um, so that if we switch them off one evening uh, before we get up the next day, the notifications have been re-enabled. That way we don't you know, not get notified about our laundry because... You know, if it's done something annoying the day before, but then we go and run some laundry, still want to know about it the next day. So, I mean, so when, I mean, you talked about, uh, you know, building the sensors, you put it in the laundry and so on. What what else are you doing? So you've got the smart switches, you've got our like yeah. smart plugs, whatever you want to call it. I think the thing that I have found the most use for is taking those daily tasks and making them easier. Mm-hmm. And so I've got really simple things like I turn on my outside lights at little before sunset, turn them off when we, as part of another automation, when we go to bed, but you know, they just automatically come on based on when sunset is. Um, but the one that we probably use the most is I took those little Aquara buttons and I've got one. So I said before we live in a split level house and our, right. Living area is downstairs, and our bedrooms are in the upper part of the split level. And so right next to the steps that go upstairs, I put one of those little acquire buttons on the wall um, where it's high enough that the toddler can't reach it, but it's really easy for my wife or I to reach it. Yeah. And we can tap it, and it will turn off the outside lights. It'll turn off all the lights downstairs. I've got a Harmony remote for my TV so it'll turn off the TV. Um, it'll make sure that the Sono speakers I've got are turned off. It'll make sure all of my Amazon devices that are not in one of the bedrooms are stopped playing. Um, and then it'll also, our dog stays in the kitchen overnight. And I've got a Hue light strip under the cabinet in there. And so I set it to like 30% brightness on red. So that it's easy on the eyes if we need to walk downstairs at night. But it's not anything that's going to keep the... Yeah, I mean, nobody wants to sleep with a bright light on, and yeah. I assume that includes dogs, so be yeah. nice there. But it basically does all that flipping stuff off and getting stuff ready for night that normally you'd have to go around to all the rooms, push all the buttons, and all of that. And it just does it with a single tap, and then that same button, if I double tap it, will toggle the hue lights that are in my living room. We've got a traditional ceiling right. fan with lights that's on a TP-Link switch. But we've also got three, we've made them hanging lights uh, using just the hue bulb and a little light thing we got from Ikea. It's uh, like a corded, a long cord with a light socket on the end of it and some shades that are meant yeah. to go with it. I actually have those hanging from what are actually hanging basket plant hooks from Home Depot. Um, but we have those on the wall hanging above where we sit so that we can have some softer lighting most of the time instead of the really bright overhead. Uh, okay. but my little button on the wall will toggle those on to 50%. 
Um, so like if I need to come back downstairs, I don't have to talk to the crazy lady or any of that other stuff. I can just tap that, turn the lights on, and then tap, double tap it again. It'll turn everything back off. Nice. And that's been one of the things we use the most. And the other thing that we've used a ton is actually for our kid. Um, yeah. So when you're trying to teach a toddler about when it's time to go to bed, when it's okay to be out of bed, like you don't want your toddler getting up at three in the morning or five in the morning when really your day starts much later than that. Yeah. Um, and we read somewhere about some people doing what was called the stoplight method to help their kid understand it's time to be awake. It's time to start getting ready for bed. It's time to be asleep or vice versa. And I found some glow lights made by, uh, I think the brand on Amazon is Treat Life. Um, yeah. But in okay. the end, it's the, they're the Tuya things. Um, but they're not ones that have ESPs in them. Um, I bought them after the Tuya Convert stuff stopped really working well anyways. But these particular ones didn't have the boards where the Tuya Convert would have ever worked. So I'm kind of stuck with the Tuya integration on them. But they worked really well. And so we've got one of these glow lights sitting in the kids' room and another one downstairs where we usually are pre-bedtime. And I've got a schedule set up and home assistant that will change it from green to yellow to red um, based on whether it's awake time, approaching either nap time or bedtime, or whether it's time to actually be asleep. And the idea is is when it turns yellow, it's time to go get ready to lay down. When it turns red, you know, it's it's time to be asleep or at least quiet. You know, he's Mm -hmm, gotten a little mm -hmm. older now. He's a little more than three years old now. So going to sleep isn't necessarily what he's actually going to do since we're not rocking him to sleep and stuff anymore. But, you know, it is time to still be in bed and quiet. You know, don't, don't care if you're playing in your bed. That's your choice. But don't be keeping us up. Don't be trying to tell us that it's time to get up. And since telling of time is something that we're still teaching and it's way too early to be able to like rely on that, this is still just a really simple method that works really well. Yeah. He took How to old is your kid? Well, just over three. Okay, nice. Um, and we've been using this since he, well, for most of the time we've had home assistants. So he was two when we started doing the kind of glow light stuff. Yep. Um, on a related note, one of the other things that's been kind of the most tangibly beneficial for us has been using the a hue light hanging like what I was describing for our living room hanging in the nursery um, even when he was itty bitty and before I'd gotten into home assistant we were doing some of this through the echo automations and could have that light basically as the night light in the room at like one percent and that combined with a smart speaker that was in there and could have the the music or what stories or whatever playing. We actually had our kid go to sleep every night for like the first two and a half years of his life listening to Harry Potter books on Audible. Um, right. We're big Harry Potter fans. Yes. And so, you know, this is something great for him to listen to. And so he got used to listening to that instead of music or something. Um, but would have nice that in his room. Yeah, it is. And of course, being that he's itty bitty, you know, we stick to the first three books. Um, yeah. You know, after the first three, <laughs> I I feel like you should be a little bit older before you get yeah. into those because, um, you know, the storyline gets a little darker after that. Much darker. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> but the first three are still pretty light. And so it got to a point where he would be able to pick and tell us which one he wanted to listen to. But 
being able to have the light that was easily adjusted and the smart speaker in there meant that when my wife had to do the overnight feedings and all the other things that come, whether it was whichever one of us was getting up in the middle of the night, all those things that come from having an infant and then a toddler, um, you didn't have to worry about having a free hand to deal with getting some kind of light on in the room as you're going to lay the kid down or get the kid up or having to ask you know, for whatever. music is like a fantastic little addition, right? Like, Oh just, yeah. 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 When you're like, when you're sitting in a chair and I'm, I don't remember if either of y'all are parents, but you know, one of the things you do when you have an infant, especially is, you know, there are times that you will sit in your nursery with the kid in your arms or in your lap or on your shoulder for, you know, hours on end if they're not sleeping well or they're sick or something like that. And so having the ability to have both hands for the kid, but still be able to control the lighting in the room and control what noise was in the room, whether it's music or a book or, you know, whatever the case may be, or also on the simpler side, uh, being able to use the announce feature and, you know, get the other person to bring you something while you can't, while you're indisposed and can't move, like sure. that stuff was just incredibly helpful. Oh yeah, totally been there. Like even just you know a couple of hours ago, right? My me and my wife were both using the Amazon Echo to try and get our daughter down, right? Like just yeah. playing different kinds of music, you know, classical music, kids' music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like incredibly powerful. Yeah. The shifting gears a little bit. The other thing that I've done is I've got. Um, a one of those aquar sensors in our bathroom slash shower room, and I have it watching the humidity in the room. Yeah. Um, and so it helps us. We were really bad about forgetting to turn on the fan, the yeah. exhaust fan in there during showers. And of course, you get out and you know you can literally see the moisture rolling down the walls. And so that's been really nice. I've got it set so that if the humidity gets above a certain percentage, that it'll turn the fan on. And yeah. then either after a period of time or once the humidity drops below a certain level, it'll turn the fan back off. Nice. That's been really nice. But it has a caveat that automation that it won't turn the fan off if the light is still on. Okay. So it'll yeah, basically stay on the whole time until somebody leaves and turns off. Right. The yeah. So like, and that's, you know, the being that it's not just showers that happen in that room, you know, there's other reasons you want the fan on in there. And sure. you don't necessarily want the fan turning off while you're still in there. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's funny because I, I tried to do the same thing, but a lot more low tech. Um, so basically, I just have a timer for thirty minutes, like whenever you turn the the fan on, right? That's what and, I started out with. Actually, was thir- a thirty minute timer for the yeah. fan. Like after the light switch turned off, it would start a thirty minute timer. Oh, um, interesting. Okay, yeah, yeah. So I I did it on switch turning off. Um, it would start the thirty minute timer for the for the smell ventilation side of things, yeah. uh, figuring yeah. that, you know, that's plenty long enough to get anything out that's going to go, but also doesn't leave the fan running for the entire day. It was yeah. a while after that, that I added the humidity stuff in. Interesting. That's actually a good, uh, a good method, a good way to do it. I, I might uh, <laughs> refactor. Well, it's, the logic with the switch turn off was kind of the same as for, I started that before we were doing the humidity, but both yep. of them are, you know, if the light is on, odds are better than not that somebody's in there. And when it comes to a fan in a bathroom, I'd rather err on the side of assuming somebody's in there than turning it off while somebody's in there. And sure. So, and I've got um, a goodbye routine 
set up through Home Assistant now, originally just straight through the Echo that turns off all the lights in the house when we leave. Yeah. Um, so I know if we leave, then the light and the fans will get turned off anyway. Yep. Oh, I actually forgot to tell you all about one of my favorite automations. So I think the, the next coolest, I want to say the coolest automation I've got is we never come home to a dark house anymore. Yeah. So for the longest time I had, or what felt like the longest time, um, starting out with just the Echo and then eventually with Home Assistant, I had a crazy lady named I'm Home. And it would turn on the downstairs lights and basically turn on all the things that we would normally walk in the house and start turning on. Yeah. Um, and I switched that to where that one still exists just in case something doesn't trigger. But now I've got a presence detection one that if the house goes from neither my wife or I being home to one of us being home, that it triggers that same routine. And the default way that Home Assistant sets up the perimeter around your house for like how distance wise um it triggers when we're it can trigger from a little bit down the road and so it's had enough time with us being inside the home zone that it's probably 99 better than 99 percent accurate of catching that we're home and having the lights turned on you know when we walk in and i have that one send a push notification with home assistant to let us know that it has turned the lights on um, right. But it's just really nice. We get home and we don't have to worry about walking into a dark house, which when you're carrying groceries, carrying an sure. infant, carrying a toddler, whatever the case may be, comes in really, really handy. Yeah. Or, I mean, even if you're not carrying anything. It's just yeah, nice I mean, it's have. just nice to not have to, like, I don't have to open the door, then start pushing buttons or tell the mm-hmm. crazy lady we're home. And adding the extra echo into my garage is actually a fairly recent addition so for the longest time i didn't have anything in the garage where i could have you announced that i was home um we've got motion sensitive lights like the motion sensor built into the light switch for the lights in our garage so the garage lights come on you know when we either when we pull in the garage or almost immediately after getting out of the car um so the garage was never a problem but it was once we walked in from the garage to our kitchen yeah have you thought about putting some motion sensors or door sensors around the house so that the lights can be automated? <laughs> I've thought about it. Um, I haven't really. The presence detection just works. Uh, we both have the Home Assistant app on our phone. And then I've got um, my whole network at home is the Ubiquity Unify stuff. And so I've got the network level sensor that detects when we're home because we've you know, our device is shown active on the network. And then I've got the presence detection from the mobile app. And between those, it's just worked. I haven't needed to get any more complicated than that. Yeah. Um, I did add a door sensor between our... So that same door we come in from the garage into our kitchen when we park. I added one on there that if that door gets left open um, for more than... I think something like three or five minutes... It will announce on several different devices that that door has been left open because, one, I don't want my animals down in the garage. Um, I've got a cat and a dog, and so I don't want them getting down in the garage, especially the cat, because it would be really hard to know she was down there, and that could that could end very badly. Um, sure. But also, I don't want my toddler you know, falling down those stairs. 
He's gotten way better with stairs over the last year, but still don't want him to accidentally fall down. Like we have one of the little kid-proof spinny things on that doorknob so that he can't open yeah. that door. Um, so it'll it'll scream at us on the Sonos devices downstairs and on a select set of smart speakers upstairs. And it actually announces that garage left open if it's during the workday. Um, it announces it on the one that's on my desk, which now I work from home. But also my wife has one on her desk at her office and it'll announce it on there too. So like if we've left home and maybe we didn't pull the door all the way to on our way out, um, we'll know that that door got left open. And then, you know, depending on the si- what's going on that day, you know, that could warrant, you know, going back home real quick and making sure the animals are safely inside and mm-hmm. dealing with it. Or it could just mean that like, okay, we need to be super careful when we come home tonight because both the dog and the cat could be in the garage where they're not supposed to be. And therefore we need to be very careful while pulling the car into the garage Yeah, that yeah. one, they don't get out and two, that they don't interact with the car in any kind of bad way. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that, that, that's the nicest way I've heard of anybody mentioned yeah. get, get hit by a car. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was trying to think of how to phrase that and my words were just not working and yeah, no, that's a all. complicated. <laughs> I mean, I, I appreciated it, so it's. Uh, yeah. I thought I thought that was great. No, I, I mean, yeah, it, it's it. It always becomes one of those things, right? And and you know, this is kind of what I love about it, right? It's it's a. It's convenient. It's also like, hey, safety for for people as well as yeah. you know your quadrupeds, right? Yeah, um, yeah. It's um. There's a it's a mix of safety and convenience. Um, on the convenience side, I made a toggle that I have at the very top of my home assistant dashboard and then a corresponding automation mm-hmm. that with whip on is called out of town. Um, okay. So I don't have backup for just a second. So one way I differ a lot from some of the other people that have been on the show is I don't believe that I should have to tell my house that I have guests. Um, like to me, guest mode means you've done something wrong in your automation setup. You've gone, you've gone over the edge. Um, to me, automations should make things better and simpler, but should not detract from the, I'm going to use an industry term, but should not detract from the user experience of the average person moving around in your house. Yep. If I need to turn a light on or off, there should be a button or a switch there that I can mm-hmm. turn on and off. Um, I should not have to care that there is home assistant running in my house to be able to do the day-to-day things in my home. Um, like if I need to go into a room and turn the light on or off, I shouldn't have to know that I need to speak to some smart speaker or something like that. Right. And so we don't have the house like magically do things when we leave or like the closest thing I have to that is turning on stuff when we arrive home, but it only turns it on in the non-sleeping areas so that, you know, if somebody's napping or sleeping, it's not going to bother them. Um, But my out of town automation um, is kind of the exception to that. It actually takes and starts turning on our lights and then triggering the same thing as when I tap the button when we're going to bed at roughly the intervals for when we would do it when we're home so that if anybody's looking at our house, you know, the lights are still coming on at the normal time. They're still going off at the normal time. And there's a little bit of randomness put in there, but um, it also is set so that like the timings on those are like, it's not going to turn the lights off until later in the evening. And so someone coming over to check on our animals while we're not home 
they will have already come and gone before this automation kicks in. So it's not going to cause them any issues either. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so. that's interesting. I guess for me, guest mode is important when you've got things like motion sensors triggering lights for you. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah, I can totally see that. Like particularly if you've got like a living room that has a pull-out couch, like a sofa bed. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Like, I think yeah, if I had some, if people were sleeping in areas that were normally like, you know, sofa beds or stuff like that, I would absolutely, to me, that's a whole, that's where guest mode makes a lot of sense. It's for mm. the, yeah. where you've yeah. converted a space from its normal purpose into a different purpose because you have guests over. That's, to me, that's where guest mode makes a lot of sense. I wasn't, I actually never thought about it from that perspective. I was yeah. thinking about it like a bedroom is a bedroom, you know. Yep. Yeah, totally. That kind of thing. Single purpose space, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The mm. only thing that my guests need and that, I've had a little bit of a hard time with this because we have those hue lights downstairs for a long time. It was hard to tell people what they needed to do to get those to come on or to turn off because they're the main lights we use downstairs. Um, but I've yeah. made that simpler. Now I've got, I don't have that many people over that stay the night and the good morning route. I have a routine or I'm so used to calling them for routines because of the echoes, but yeah. Um, it still spoke into the Echo. Now it's just the Echo triggers a home assistant automation or a home assistant strip. But it's a good morning routine and a good night routine. Yeah. And then, um, of course, now that I've got the button on the wall, the bedtime like When you get ready to go to bed, just tap that button. <laughs> and right. everybody can remember that. Most people can remember to say, to tell the smart speaker good morning, you know, to turn on the lights if they get up before we do. But that's a the extent of what my guests have to, the extent that guests have to care about the automations, I guess is what it is. Yeah. I actually don't mind that idea of, cause I'm, I'm just saying it cause I, I do have a guest mode. Basically the only thing that my guest mode does is if like, let's say they have the lights on in the room or whatever in their guest bedroom or in our, in our guest bedroom and we say good night, it doesn't turn off their lights. Just yeah. again, if they want to stay up, I don't know, reading yeah. a book or whatever. And might not be a bad idea to use like a button there or something like that, right? And yeah, just be like, hey, press yeah, this button a, when you're ready to go to bed. Yeah, I've got a. I kind of went the a slightly more extreme on that one, and like my my good night routine doesn't mess with bedrooms at all. Hmm. Like it just it doesn't touch the bedrooms because people's sleeping habits are you know all across Different. the spectrum. Yep. You, yep. You've got night owls. You've got morning people. You've got standard hour kind of people and so i just i don't i didn't want to try and deal with all the logic of that and also didn't want to do things that would be problematic because in fairness the most common guest i have is my mom who is in her 70s and right now she's got smart speakers at home now also but you know they don't have any smart lights i think i actually set up their first smart plugs for them um as we were setting up christmas this year uh, got them, you know, using for the Christmas tree to yeah. turn that on instead of having to like crawl up under there or remember crawl behind something to unplug or step on a button or whatever. Mm-hmm. I got those on smart plugs for this year. Um, and that's been a, a resounding success. Um, but like, I don't want her to have to remember how to deal with stuff, you know, other than maybe the most simple of like this morning, say good morning. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's I, I I really like that. Like, and on my way to bed, I have to walk by the guest bedroom anyways, 
And so yeah. if nobody's home and the guest overhead is on for some reason, I can reach around the door and tap it or speak to the smart speaker as I'm walking by mm-hmm. and say, you know, hey, crazy lady, turn off the guest light. And, you know, like I still don't have to actually go into the room if I don't want to. I just don't make assumptions about whether that light should be on or off unless we're leaving. You know, if we've if we've said goodbye, you know, run the goodbye routine, then all the lights are getting turned off. <laughs> right, but right. We if we've got a guest over who's not leaving, then we just simply don't tell her goodbye because, you know, there's still people home. <laughs> hmm. It's just a kind of the reverse approach to how a lot of people approach it. Like, you know, I'm thinking about it from the the user experience of the people who would be here and catering more toward the people who aren't me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's not just the acceptance factor of the rest of your family. It's the don't be annoying to the other people who might be in your house. Totally. Kind of acceptance factor, too. Like, I would rather totally. take an extra step myself than make it unpleasant for somebody to be visiting me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Especially I'm, since a lot of the... We moved back to Georgia so that we'd be close to family as we're raising a, you know, an infant and a toddler. Yeah. And, you know... People, especially as I was setting a lot of this up, the people who were visiting were here doing us favors. They were here helping us with our kid or mm-hmm. something like that for like the first year and a half, especially once all the nastiness of the last, what, two years has yeah. kicked in. Like the only visitor we would have would be somebody who was here helping us take care of our toddler. So, you know, I really want to make it as easy on them as possible. I don't yeah. want to give them any reason to not enjoy coming. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and, and exactly, right? And I mean, Phil Phil and I have kind of always talked about that, right? And in terms of a usability perspective is it has to be like, and it's again, for that reason that I don't use smart bulbs, I use smart switches, right? Because it's yeah. all, it's, it's, it's the same. It's, it's what you know, like if, if my mom comes over or whatever, it's flip a light switch. It's not. Everybody uh, knows or, how I to mean, push the switch light. on the wall. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So. We've got a, the other thing to me is. I actually was thinking about it just from an economics point of view when I first started doing this. And you know, when I first got into this, the Amazon ecosystem is all I had access to. So I was like, okay, so it pretty much looks like Hue bulbs are my option. At the time, mm-hmm. that's really all I could see, especially for things I didn't have to order online and had no idea what I was getting. My Like our local Home Depot carries Hue lights. Right. Um, and so I said, like, okay, so Hue bulbs are pretty much my choice. At that time, the cheapest of them was 30 or $40, like the absolute cheapest. They've come out with some cheaper ones since then. And a smart switch is $30. Yeah. Hmm. I can put one switch in a room, and switches pretty well last forever, or I could put one or more Hue lights in a room, spend the same amount of money or more, maybe exponentially mm-hmm. more. And even being LEDs, I'm going to have to replace them. Yeah. You know, somewhere between one and four years, I'm going to have to replace them. Yeah. The economics say, change the switch. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, so this is simple. And then it has the benefit of everybody understands how to use it. But. Yeah, I think that's the tricky bit, right? Like, if you are a renter, then obviously changing switches. Right. Not yeah, rentals change them. Yeah, rentals um, change that completely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I also think, because just coming from a rental, um, one of the things I loved about the all the lights being on their, you know, all the light bulbs being automated was the color temperature ability. So, you know, having cool white in the day and you're just looking like, you know, it was daylight inside and then then slowly fading to a nice warm white overnight, like once the sun's gone down. 
you, you can't do that with a smart switch, right? True. I um, think I got the, because I started with a very, very lack of understanding of a lot of this stuff, I had mm-hmm. already gone down the smart switch route mm-hmm. before I learned enough to even understand that I could have those kind of transitions. Right. Um, plus, we've got the fixtures in most of our overheads don't really facilitate using the smart bulbs. Um, or I would have to be like, the one that's in the room I'm in now has three light bulbs in it. You know, to have three bulbs that have the nice color temperatures, that's a non-trivial investment. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I was looking at it from a, you know, again, back to the money side of, I wanted to have some smarts in the room, but I didn't want to break my wallet to do it either. <laughs> yeah, like automating the light switches is absolutely like the preferred way to do it, right? Um, yeah, I, yeah, from a rental perspective. And we actually were, when I got that first smart speaker, we were renting, we were in an apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had to deal with exactly what you're talking about. Of you know, we can't, I can't go changing switches. I can't mm-hmm. mess with anything in the walls. I don't want to put anything. I could hang stuff on the walls, but I don't want to put anything up that when I take it down, it's going to leave a gaping hole. Yep, yep. Thinking yeah. back to that adhesive on some of the things that we have, like command strips are fine. The adhesive on the back of an Aquara sensor, not so much. No. That's going to take sheetrock yep. with it when you pull it off. That's right. I yeah, made that yeah. mistake once, um, and it literally took the top layer of sheetrock off with it. Oh, <laughs> no. Hopefully that wasn't yeah. in your rental. Uh, no, actually, it was in my office before I moved back okay. to working from home. Fortunately, the right. maintenance guy was like, I was just straight with him. I said, look, I said, I made a really bad choice here. I had no yeah. idea how strong this adhesive was. You know, it, <laughs> it looked simple. I, the thing's battery-powered, so I just made the assumption that it would come back off fairly easy. Yeah, Yeah, it took... You know the paper that's over the top of sheetrock? Yeah, yeah. It took the paint, the paper, and a tad of the stuff that wouldn't let go from the paper off with it. Like, it was put a little spatuling on and then put the touch-up paint on. It was horrific. I was like, you talked about some really strong adhesive for a window sensor that you're putting on the metal frame (laughs) of a window or a door. Super strong adhesive, great. Yeah. For... I something, but for the part with the battery in it that you're going to have to take down at some point, not so much. Or yeah. maybe design it so that, that you could change the battery without taking it back off the wall. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and yeah, I guess that's just a lack of foresight there, right? Or, yeah, or it's one of the very few design flaws I found with the Aquara stuff. It's like mm-hmm. if you don't put the adhesive on, put the adhesive on the battery door. Just you know, you can rotate the, yeah. you twist the battery door to take it off. Especially if it's something other than a window sensor, because they've got, you know, the frame of the window is in your way. But yeah, like these yeah. buttons or temperature sensors, I could put them somewhere on a wall where I could, you know, press on the sensor and rotate it with like the palm of my hand yeah. and leave that door on the wall. Like, I'd be okay with that. Yeah, It's interesting because I've actually got an Aquara temperature sensor in my hand right now. Mm-hmm. And um, the adhesive is actually on the battery cover. Um, I thought the adhesive was right around the battery cover. No, there's not enough room okay. around. So I may um, I may have been mistaken on that one, or maybe it's the buttons that the adhesive is on the outside. But the one that yeah. I screwed up on was a the one I screwed up on was actually the door sensor. Mm. Um, I think it was, and it took it off. Yeah, the door sensors are actually really like finicky, right? Like I've got these. Um, square ones and you've really got to get your like fingernail into them to take them off and yeah, yeah. otherwise you are ripping the wall off with your right yeah. so yeah I can totally yeah, see I can that. totally see that. I did have one other cool gizmo around the house. Um I got I got this when I wasn't working from home but it's still useful here too. 
Yeah. Um, on Etsy, I found somebody selling these little ESP powered signs. Um, it's probably six or eight inches wide and about three inches tall. And you could have different words on it, but I was looking at it for like own air or if you could yeah. customize it. I actually had mine say, it says Zoom or own Zoom or something like that. I don't actually right. forget which one it says. Um, but I've got that hooked up uh, with Home Assistant and there's a hacks integration for Zoom that will let you have a user level app with Zoom that talks to the Home Assistant API to tell it when you're on and off a call. And so That's now cool. whenever I join a Zoom meeting or leave a Zoom meeting, it turns my little own Zoom sign on and off so that somebody will know, you know, if I'm on a conference call. Um, when I was in an office previously, my desk and I faced the door coming into the room. Right. And so someone coming in couldn't see what was on my screen and would have no reason to know if I was on a call or not. And so I had this little sign sitting on the front edge of my desk. And so as soon as they looked in the room, they could see if it was lit up. And if it wasn't, then they would know that if they need me, they need to kind of wave and, you know, let me mute myself first. Or mm -hmm. if it wasn't super important, they would know that they should just come back, you know, a little later. Yeah. Um, and that was, it's just great for my convenience, for their convenience. And then now um, I've got it sat behind me to where if you peek in the room that I'm in, you can easily see if the sign is on. Yeah. And that way, you know, one is the microphone likely on, but also two is my camera likely turned on or not. Um, yeah. Which working from home, you know, no, it's nice to know when someone else might see, you yeah. know, whether you're looking like you just rolled out of bed or whatever the case may be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've actually seen automations with, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of that uh, Z-Wave um, switch manufacturer, but they have the little lights underneath. Um, it's not the Innovelli ones, right? Yeah, 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 the Innovelli ones. So where somebody, because again, that's, that's uh, you can trigger that as you need to, right? So what uh, someone did is they took the WebEx uh, API and essentially said, okay, am I online, offline? Same same kind of deal and, uh, and triggers uh, that light. So, you know, somebody comes in and you just need to look at the lights, which because typically the lights, which is when you enter the room, right? Or even when you open the door, typically it's not like behind the door. It's it's exact first thing you see. So um, yeah, and then based on that, it's uh, you know red light, green light, whatever, right? So they know, hey, don't don't bother me, kind of thing, right? Or or even if there's light switches around the house, whatever, it, it'll flip to say, hey, somebody's on a call. Just be careful, right? Yeah, I hadn't even thought about maybe using the LEDs that are so the TP links. Um, very very recently. The integration at a home assistant started exposing the LED that's in the TP-Link light switches as a separate okay. entity. Oh, cool. Uh, and like, that's happened in like the last two months. Yeah. Uh, and so like now, I think it may just be an on or an off for the LED, but, you know, I could do... It's something. You have the potential there, like you could, heck, you could probably have the thing blink or something to be like a warning symbol or something too. Yeah. yeah. They're not super... It's not like an RGB or anything. I don't think in those, but right. um, just being able to turn the LED itself on and off, you could easily have it blinking or something if that's something that was in line. Um, you know, when I was approaching this, I was so I worked full time for a software company, but at the time I was also working part time for my church as the tech person yeah. there. And the people coming in were 
could be people I worked with, but it could also be just somebody visiting the church office. And right. so it's not people who would have any reason to know what a particular color means or anything like that. Like for this, for what I was doing to be useful, it had to be just completely yeah. and totally idiot proofed. Yeah, and yeah. that's no, nothing bad, disparaging about the people who were coming in. It's like it just had to oh. be that level of simplicity. And so yeah. I needed it to literally say like own Zoom or um, something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or on and a call course, or something. Yeah. And with COVID times, like everybody knows what Zoom is, even if they don't use it. All the time, everybody knows what that is, yeah. and I can toggle it on from Home Assistant or by tapping a button on the side of it when it was sitting on the front edge of my desk. Yeah. And so it didn't really matter if it was technically a Google Meet call or something it else. Matter. I, it came on automatically with the Zoom stuff, but you know, I could switch it on anytime I needed to if I was happen to be on a different kind of call. Yeah, um, which is which is perfect. That's that's kind of exactly what you want, right? So yeah. And if I did any of the other call types more than just, you know, twice a month, I would probably set up an automation and home assistant for those too. I just don't yeah. do them enough that it matters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and Thank goodness. Right. for one-offs, it doesn't matter. So, Yeah. I've, I'm so thankful that the vendors I have to interact with these days um, have pretty much all moved to Zoom or the one or two that have in our own Google Meet, um, which... Yeah talked about a system i don't like google meet is horrific to have to interact with on a daily basis um yeah yeah but I'm, most of them are not on webex anymore um yeah. at least not that i have to interact with and i know that's just the particular sector of vendors that i'm interacting with but um, sure so i don't have i'm not constantly having to deal with two and three and four different meeting platforms like i used to you know used yeah. to it with a complete crapshoot as to like this vendor's on platform A, this one's on B, this one's on C, this one's on D, and this one's on E. And so yeah, you've got yeah. to have every kind of client set up. And at that point, it'd probably make more sense to try and make something pay attention to the, the camera on my computer or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Check if check if the camera's in use, something like that. And then based on that, do whatever, right? I'd actually like to figure out how to do that. Um, my day-to-day computer that I use for work is actually running Fedora Linux instead of like Mac or Windows. And so I don't have the luxury of the Home Assistant app for the desktop. And so I haven't actually figured out how I could have it check my webcam status like I would have when I had the Home Assistant app. There was a recent integration that came out. Um, Maybe it was for Windows or maybe it was called System Monitor or System Tools or something like that. I don't remember seeing that. I haven't looked um, to see if that one works on Linux or not. Yeah, check that one out. That would be like yeah. my next go-to. Yeah, I'll definitely check that out because that would cover yeah. some edge cases. Because I do do a Google Meet call periodically, and every once in a while I'll do something else. Yeah, I use uh, Privacy Badger from EFF, mm-hmm. and that combined with regardless of which browser it is, I strict I switch the privacy settings to strict in it. So in Firefox, I've been using the strict settings for a long time now, and that combined with Privacy Badger um, and the container tabs or the multi-account containers plugin where you can take known bad actor websites and kind of sandbox them together so that they don't have access to everything else in your browser, um, which is really handy because there are a few sites that if you have I have to turn Privacy Badger off for a couple of sites, literally like one or two sites. Yeah. Um, because the sites just 
designed in a way that if you don't let it have its 10,000 cookies and talk to all these different Just, traffic yeah. services, the site literally will not work. And so for those, I disable Privacy Badger, but I put them in their own container tab where they can see what's happening, what I'm doing with their site, but they can't see any of my other stuff. They're separate yeah. from the rest of my browsing interactions and all. And that's yeah. worked really well. Um, and that that pairing actually works fine on Chrome too. It's just the um, rest of Chrome stuff Google was doing in the background with Chrome that is creepy. And yeah, I know yeah. this almost sounds like the pot calling the kettle black. I'm talking about having an Amazon device in every room of yeah. my house. Um, <laughs> but like I've got, yeah. I've tried to send as little info as I can to the Amazon devices. Um, I do. I try and limit what they get as much as possible. Um, I absolutely, now that I understand the ramifications, absolutely yeah. hate actually that I have an Amazon device in every part of my house, but I haven't found a bit, I haven't found a viable alternative. Um, yeah. The sometimes the convenience is just worth it. Yeah. And it's a balance. Like, yeah. um, I cut out for my personal life, I cut out Gmail a while back and, but I still have to use Google calendar because Google makes it hard to interact with other people who use this Google calendar. If you don't mm. actually use Google, yeah. um, that's a whole other long story, but long story short is I have Google Calendar still. Um, but like the creepy factor of what happens, what I see online and the, yeah. the stuff that shows up in my inbox and all that has gone down so much since stopping using Gmail and stopping using Chrome. And it's like, okay, yeah, I'm just not going back. Yeah, Privacy yeah. matters. <laughs> yeah, I agree. All right. With that, I think it's a good time to wrap. <laughs> I know it's getting along, but I think we digressed a little bit there. <laughs> That's right. Just a little. That's a little. Oh, good. Yeah, Jane, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you all for having me on. It's, um, it's a pleasure being on, and hopefully I've shared something that somebody else will find inspiring or useful. And I love listening to everybody else on here, so it's nice to be able to share what I'm doing too. That's awesome. That's great. Perfect. Cool. All right. Cheers. Cheers. If you want to share your home assistant journey or come on as a guest, reach out to us at feedback at haspodcast.io. That's H-A-S-S podcast.io. The Home Assistant Podcast is hosted by Phil Hawthorne and myself, Rohan Karamandi. For links to topics we discussed today, check out our show notes on haspodcast.io.